Life is full of challenges. With an unpredictable economy and just as surprising life changes, you need to be prepared to weather any storm. Elder Law and Estate Planning Attorney Kevin Tharp and Financial Advisor Gary Anderson are available to help you with life's difficult decisions. This is Truth in Planning. Retirement planning red flags. I'm Gary Anderson, Financial Advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, Elder Law and Estate Planning Attorney. Gary, every summer you hear reports, usually at the beginning of the summer, Uh, but throughout, about um, accidents that happen at the beach. Everybody's going to the beach at summertime, and and our family does every year. Um, We go to the same place every year and get a house right on the beach and spend a week there, and it's a great time. But inevitably, at least one time while we're there, they'll raise the red flag Mm -hmm. because the undertow is bad or the storm's coming through or a storm just passed through. Now, for me, I love playing in the waves, and, you know, when it's red flag, it's like, but those are some of the best ways. Surf's up. Surf's yeah. up, right? But you're crazy to go out there. That's a warning that it's dangerous. Be careful. Be mindful. They're red flags that are out there. And unfortunately, in many of these uh, incidents that you hear, drownings, people ignore those red flags. Well, and Kevin, that's a good, that's a very good analogy because these types of things exist all through our lives. And a red flag warning at the beach, you look at the water, nice, beautiful waves coming in, everything looks good to you. But what you aren't seeing is what's underneath then. It's the assumption that everything on top, that everything on the bottom is the same as everything on top. And so you swim out there, you could find yourself in trouble pretty quickly. That's a, that's a bad assumption, the fact that you think that the water can be as, as nice and calm above or below as it is above. And this is when we talk about retirement planning, that's pretty much the same thing. There are particular assumptions that we can make out there, right or wrong, because not all assumptions are bad, naturally. When we plan for retirement, we have to make certain assumptions. But what we can't make is assumptions that are blind assumptions, things that just don't really make a lot of sense, and other than the fact that you think that might be the case, just like you would think that the water underneath is smooth and calm, just like you did the water up above. You have the same type of assumptions with retirement. The problem with retirement is it's going to last you a long time. It's going to last for decades. So it's very, very common for people to make assumptions and act on those assumptions when they really haven't tested those assumptions, when they really never have seen those functions play those assumptions play out throughout their retirement. And the worst thing about retiring and making these assumptions, Kevin, is that retirement does last many, many years. So you can have this retirement plan that you maybe put together or somebody put the plan together for you and um, you're ten years into your retirement now and you think, well this this is working really well. We made some good choices. The plan is good, right? Well, the first 10 years, very, very few retirement plans fail. It's the last 10 years is where they fail. Well, the problem with the last 10 years, that's when you need for this thing to be working the most. There's nothing worse than being 80 years old or 85 years old, and all of a sudden you start thinking, well, wait a minute, there's not enough here. I don't have enough money here to support myself now for potentially the next 10 years or more, and I'm in my 80s. 
Well, it's not like you're going back to work then. You maybe haven't worked in 10, 15, 20 years, not planning on doing that. You might have health situations that pr- would keep you from working, but health situations that also are going to cost you more money during your retirement, and you didn't plan to make the entire trip. You, you came up a little short there based on assumptions you were making. It's similar to a roadmap. And I hate to use the roadmap word these days because most people don't even use a roadmap anymore. They always use, we always use GPS, but roadmaps still have value just because you can see everything around you with a roadmap where GPS most of the time is limited to the direction you're going in. But when you have this roadmap, you plan your trip out and you are making assumptions there. You're making assumptions like the road is a good road to be on. The bridges are good. We know there's no problems, no storms or anything else out there that can affect us for any length of time. So those are assumptions you make. You know that highway, US, uh, Interstate 75 goes all the way into Michigan. And uh, as a matter of fact, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, we know that. That's a great assumption to make and a great assumption to use because unless something really catastrophic happens, that road is going there. So what I have to do is follow that road. If I have a retirement plan, we create the road. We have a road there. We see the destination. The destination being with the retirement plan is getting through retirement for not only you, but if your spouse is, if you have a spouse or your spouse is still alive, for both of you. So this is a trip for two, and it's got to make it for both of you. And sometimes when we see a bigger age differences between spouses, then it becomes more critical to make sure we're planning for the spouse who's the youngest. And if it's 10, 15 years younger, it does create another dynamic, certainly something you can't get over. But the plan really is important because the, the let's say the older spouse says, well, it looks good to me. And the younger spouse is over there saying, well, what about me? I, you could leave this earth a long time before I do. What am I going to do if this plan doesn't work for both of us? Both of us are riding in this car. We're talking about retirement red flags today on Truth and Planning. I'm with my co-host, financial planner, Gary Anderson of Anderson Advisors. And Gary, I know, having taken many a trip, we make assumptions. Uh, I travel a lot with my father-in-law and mother-in-law. And on many of trips, he was the Rand McNally expert. <laughs> he, had a, he had a Rand McNally map. He took it with him. He had a Rand McNally brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. He memorized a lot of those well, he maps. he driven a lot over the years. And, and it was that I-75 all the way up to Michigan. They originally, Missy was originally born in Michigan, so they traveled up and down that. So he, he became very familiar with the roads. And I know that one time we were traveling up that direction, didn't make it all the way up to Michigan, but... There were several times where we had to go around things because, well, that's an unplanned stop. I remember him saying that a number of times. Well, that was an unplanned stop. We didn't know that bridge would be out or they would be working on that bridge. So sometimes there can be red flags. And we saw the red flags. We saw the orange flags and the orange cones and warning us that something's coming up and we're probably going to have to make an adjustment. Well, and when you plan this trip, or when your father-in-law planned this trip, Kevin, he was making an assumption that things would be different. Things would change, and he would have to change his route. That is absolutely what we have to do in retirement as well. Make sure the assumptions are accurate. They're tested assumptions. 
we put the plan together, but we also know that things will change somewhere down the line. They're going to change. We put the plan in place, but it's not something you can just set in motion and hope it all works out. Reviews to plans are extremely important, at least annual reviews, sometimes even more, to make sure that the things that are going on in your life right now still fit the plan. Because there's a good chance maybe someone's gotten sick. Maybe the an adult child has had a, a financial issue and you've had to help them some way or another. Or any number of things that can happen, we've got to be able to take the other route. Just like your father-in-law. Okay, there's red barrels up here. There's, there's cars backed up. But I know, based on my plan, that I can go around this if I take this exit up here. No different with a financial plan. You've got to make sure you're addressing things that can happen just like you do things that you can assume that aren't going to happen. So this is what we have to do when we put together a good retirement plan. Gary, how can our listeners take that step to get their uh, roadmap for retirement started? Kevin, it starts with a conversation. And we'd love people to, for people to come in. We think he, if we think we can help you, we'll continue with the plan and make sure that everything's working right for you. You can call us at Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847. Coming up, we're going to talk about why your estate plan and retirement plan should go together. Why your estate plan and retirement plan should go together. I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, there's a lot of things that should go together. Uh, I think peanut butter and jelly are a great combination. They go together. Okay. There's a lot of other things that go together, you know, like Coke and hot dog at the ball game. It just... Do you go to the ball you said game? Coke. Now, Coke. Are we are really talking about Coca Cola and a hot dog? We're or talking about any beverage. No, we're talking about Coca Cola and a hot dog. Yes. Just wanted to make that yes, clear. There's no such thing as a Pepsi and a hot dog. They're just it's a <laughs> those things don't go together. Okay? At least in my hand, right in my hand. Okay, uh, but there's a lot of things that don't go together as well. But in retirement planning, and we've talked uh, for years. Uh, about this. You uh, have talked about it on the radio, and there's many, many important elements uh, of having a good retirement plan. And one of them is you have them in writing. You You have this plan in writing because you don't have a plan just because you have an account. Well, I feel the same way. I feel that uh, you're, it's important. One of the two essential elements in estate planning is that you put your wishes in writing. You put them in a document. Now, I also recommend that that document be a trust rather than a will. And that's because of this one important element that is common in a retirement plan and an estate plan. No question about it, your accounts, your financial accounts especially, are an important part of your retirement plan. That's your source of income. That's your well that you draw from over the years. 
and you do a good job of helping people manage that uh, for different things and making adjustments on different things that during their life that they have to make adjustments. So that's where they're drawing their livelihood and their income from when they retire because that steady paycheck they were getting at work may, may go away. And, and so that is important to manage those accounts. But Gary, I would say if there's one thing that ties our industry together when it comes to a retirement plan and an estate plan is a thing called beneficiary designation. Every single account that you help people manage, every single account that you're working with as a listener with your financial advisor, I don't care who they are, some point that conversation comes up. Now, unfortunately, many times uh, what I see happen is in your industry, and this is just an observation from my side of the table, is that that is a part of a conversation, but it's almost secondary. A lot of the focus is on how it's invested and managing it and generating income. And it's, oh, by the way, you got to name a beneficiary. And there's a lot of assumptions that, well, you just do it this way. If you're married, you name your spouse. If you have kids, you name your kids. Um, if you have grandkids, you're like my parents, you skip everybody and go right to the grandkids and great grandkids. But, you know, it's there's a lot of just presumptions in their second thought about beneficiary designation. But yet it is one of the most crucial things that can completely alter or change an estate plan for a married couple, for a family. It can totally alter a retirement plan. Who the beneficiary is, who's going to get this stuff when you die because beneficiary designation is a form of titling and that is an essential part of a continuation of a good retirement plan or having to make huge adjustments in your retirement plan because if you're married you lose a spouse and all of those things that happen and i know that we uh we've had a couple of over the years a couple of clients that have come to us um, maybe through a seminar, maybe through this radio show, and they came to you initially and then uh, were referred to me, or they came to me and I referred them to you, and it was on this common subject of beneficiary designation. I know you were having a conversation with a client not long ago, and their advisor recommended that they just eliminate all the beneficiaries they have on every asset that has a beneficiary designation because he's going to set up this trust for a surviving spouse, and that surviving spouse has a known disability called dementia. And it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And it's going to get worse, especially if the spouse dies, because that's one of those triggering events that accelerates a decline in dementia that you and I have seen over the years in our practice. So why did they recommend uh, you eliminate all beneficiary designations. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, and I'm with my co-host, Kevin Tharp, estate planning and elder law attorney. And Kevin, we talk about beneficiary designations all the time. You and I have conversations about the best way to apply a beneficiary designation to anybody's accounts. Anything they're doing financially is very important, but it's different for different people. And uh, I think sometimes everybody just makes this assumption. Oh, yeah, well, it's supposed to be your spouse or it's supposed to be your oldest child or whatever it is. And I feel uncomfortable giving people that advice. I'm a financial advisor. 
I feel uncomfortable giving people advice on beneficiary designations, really, if they haven't talked to someone who should be an expert at that, that being an attorney, more mostly an elder law attorney or um, a state planning attorney like yourself, it's important to get that type of advice. Gary, there's no way around this. This concept is like the law of gravity. The law of title determines everything. And beneficiary designation is a form of titling. And so you can't get around this. You can't say, well, I'm a gravity expert, and here's what I can tell you. When you get on top of this building and you jump off, you're not going to fall and hit the ground. That's what I took a couple of courses on the law of gravity. And I know now, since I took these courses, that beneficiary does it just just do this. Just name your spouse or don't name anything so that when we probate the will, then all these testamentary trusts we're setting up for people, then they can all be funded. Okay. Well, I can tell you this. If you're in, if you're a financial advisor and you've taken any course, even if you're fresh out of school and just got your degree, you know this, the worst beneficiary is no beneficiary. Because there are all kinds of negative things that are going to happen if you don't name a beneficiary, especially on a retirement account. We're talking huge tax burdens. We're talking asset protection problems. We're talking probate. I don't think there's a financial advisor out there that would recommend no beneficiary. In fact, I think you probably in your industry have some sort of fiduciary fiduciary obligation to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, that's exactly right, Kevin. We are required to make sure that those things are in place. And if they're not, then most of the time people can't even set up an account. Mm -hmm. And as an estate planning attorney, I can tell you why beneficiary designation is so important. Because you can't tell a person who their beneficiary should or should not be or overlook that and it not have legal implications. Legal implications of what happens if an IRA goes through probate and the tax implications on top of that and the asset protection implications on top of that. Or you have all of these wonderful things, say, for a a minor child or a grandchild, or you have a loved one who has a disability like autism and you want to leave them benefits. So you've got this life insurance policy or retirement account, uh, mom and dad or grandparent, and you're talking with the insurance professional or the financial advisor about these accounts and they say, oh, well, just name a beneficiary. Just leave it all to, you know, you got two kids and one of them has Down syndrome. Just leave it all to their sibling. They'll know what to do with it. And then the, you got this $100,000, $500,000 insurance policy payable to that child. And unfortunately, that child's in the middle of a divorce. That money is never going to get into the hands and benefit your child with special needs now because of who the beneficiary was. So when we come back in the next segment, we're going to talk about the best beneficiary designation available to us all. Kevin, why don't you give people your information so they can come in and talk to you about this? Gary, the best way to reach me is through my website, kevintharp.com. Coming up next, the Wait and See Retirement Plan.
Is your retirement plan the wait-and-see retirement plan? I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney, and I can't wait to see what this is going to be about. (laughs) My grandmother used to use that phrase all the time, Kevin. You probably heard it from your grandmother over the years as well. That was just one of the phrases they used a lot. We'll see or we'll wait and see. And... um, That's just kind of leaving things up to circumstances, I guess, at times. Most of the time when our grandmother said that, though, they already knew what they were going to say. There was not really any waiting. (laughs) You would wait and see, but they already knew. (laughs) But when it comes to a retirement plan, you better have a little more in place than just, well, we'll see how this turns out in the end. That's no way to do it because the problem is, like I had said earlier, for one thing, the end does not come at the same time, usually for two spouses. One person's end is going to be before the other. So if we're waiting to see how it turns out 20, 30, 40 years from now, that's not a good way to go. That's not a good assumption to make that everything's going to turn out okay. Now, will things turn out okay? Being an optimist, yes, you think, well, everything's going to be fine. And yes, it will to some extent. But let's make sure that money is not going to get in the way or lack of money in your retirement years is going to get in the way of all the other things that you can enjoy and make sure that you do have a good time and enjoy yourself through the years. Let's not let that get in the way. Let's have a plan in place that gives you a very, very good idea that you're going to be able to do these things you want to do in your retirement years. For as long as you live, you and or your spouse, make sure that that you're comfortable that way then everything else really just takes on a different perspective then because you've addressed the money part. Is it the end-all or cure-all for everything? No, it is not. There are a lot of other things in our life besides money. But having the right amount of money or knowing the right amount of money is going to be there from now through your retirement is very important. You need the confidence that a plan gives you. A good plan... We'll consider, not just while guessing, but we'll consider um, future expenses. Because we know expenses change in the future. They don't stay the same. The expenses we have now could be something totally different than we have 20 years from now. So we have to make sure that we're projecting what can happen in the future, all the possibilities that are there, and make sure that those expenses are going to be covered because we know things are going to cost more. Absolutely, we know that. We have to be ready for that because if things are going to cost more a year from now, think about what they're going to cost 20 years from now or 30 years from now. That has to be a part of the overall retirement plan. Inflation. I think we'd all forgotten about inflation until the last couple of years because it had been so long since we had any true inflation like we've had. Now we're more aware of it again. But what we've been doing through the years and what we continue to do with a retirement plan is keep inflation in perspective, make sure inflation, the allowance for for inflation is going to be there to know that 20 years from now, if inflation has been 3% or 4 or 5% a year, we know what that's going to look like for you at that point in time. That's why you plan. That's why you put together these things. Medical expenses. Eh, you're 65 years old. You're 70 years old. Maybe you just retired. Maybe you're getting ready to retire. 
Medical expenses, well, you have life insurance, you have medical insurance, you have most likely Medicare at this point in time or Medicare Advantage. You have those things. So you're not concerned about medical expenses too much now in your early years of retirement. But let's say 20 years from now, there's a long-term care situation. And Kevin, you help people with this all the time. This is a big function of what you do is helping people address that issue 10, 15, 20 years from now. It becomes more of an issue. We have to allow for that. That's got to be part of an overall plan. And a lot of times, Kevin, it involves some of the planning that you've done for people. That financial plan needs to fit the projections that you're you're giving people as far as the planning they need to have further down the line somewhere. We're talking today with Gary Anderson, financial advisor, about is your retirement plan a wait and see? And Gary, you're exactly right. In fact, there's an upcoming show that I'm going to talk about, uh, about how elder law and retirement planning, the connections that should be made between those two things. Because a lot of times people see that as separate. Oh, well, Gary does retirement planning. It has nothing to do with what Kevin does. Or Kevin does estate planning or he's an elder law attorney. It has nothing to do with what Gary does in retirement plan. And in actuality, especially when it comes to elder law, um, and long-term care, there is a big connection. And we're going to talk about that in an upcoming segment. But that is something that you can, uh, you know, a lot of times people say, well, we'll wait and see if that happens. And then it happens and they're not prepared. Yeah. Waiting and seeing and waiting and seeing and planning are different things. Make sure you plan. It's not very difficult to plan for those things now. It becomes more and more difficult if you wait and see. If you wait through the next 10, 15 years before you figure out that you maybe you need to do something, your options are limited then. Um, guess what? Let's wait and see if taxes are going to go down. That's a good idea. That's a great part of a plan there. You'll be waiting a long time, I think. <laughs> um, we, we haven't seen that happen very often, except for in temporary situations. We've had one of those things going on the last five years. It's been very nice. Since 2017, we had the tax cuts that were implemented. Unfortunately, in January of 2026, those go away. I doubt very seriously that anybody in Washington is going to extend those tax cuts for another five years or six years. Probably not going to happen, not with all this focus on deficit and um, out-of-control spending, inflation, everything else that's going on. I just doubt very seriously we're going to see any extension of that. So we have to be ready. Well, guess what? That's part of the plan. Not just waiting and seeing how it's going to work. It's part of your plan. We make sure that those things are, are those things are addressed and they're implemented when the time comes. Another thing too, and it's something a lot of people focus on, and it's a good thing, return on investment. So often, you forget about that part of your overall plan. Now, we have to, as far as return on investments go for our retirement, we always want to be as conservative as we possibly can with projecting what those accounts that you have, what those investments that you have are going to look like 10, 15, 20 years from now. But we can put that to the test. We can actually project what we think will happen with the investments you have now 10, 15, 20 years from now. And we plan accordingly. Sometimes 
that roadmap has to change immediately because the plan that you put together, the money you've accumulated all these years in that 401k can do some incredible things for you. But we have to keep things like return on investment and how conservative or how risky we are. We have to keep those things in the picture because we don't want you to run out of money because you were thinking you were going to make a whole lot more return on your investments than you thought you would. Let's plan and let's plan on what things can happen and what things we think will happen during that time period. There's Nobody has a crystal ball. We can't know that 15 years from now that markets are going to be looking like they are today. We have no idea. But we do know that if we plan a financial plan in a conservative way, anything that above that is just gravy. That means you're going to be able to do more things with your with your retirement further down the line as long as we aren't projecting too much of a return on your investment. I hate to, to say we don't want you to have too much of a return on investment because we do, but let's make sure that we are allowing for maybe not quite as much return as we've come to expect over the past 15 or 20 years. That needs to be built into the plan. Just put it in there, and then you can wait and see because you plan accordingly. Gary, how can our listeners be prepared for and wait and see, but be prepared for the things that could happen while they're waiting? Kevin, they can call us at 888-371-2847. Anderson Advisors will be glad to have you come in for a conversation. Next, we're going to talk about the best beneficiary designation. Best Beneficiary Designation. I'm Kevin Tharp, Elder Law and Estate Planning Attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, Financial Advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, my favorite time of the year starts in the fall and goes all the way through uh, January, the middle of January. And a lot of reasons that it's my favorite time of year is not only is there holidays in there, Thanksgiving and Christmas, but in the fall, it's the start of college football, pro football starts. Baseball is winding down and you're getting into the playoffs. So it's just like in Labor Day weekend, kicks it off, and it's just like a smorgasbord. It is it is awesome. And rankings become very, very important, especially as you get down towards the end of the year and everybody's got an opinion of who should be ranked where. Well, in the financial industry and in the estate planning industry, the industries that you and I are a very uh, active part of, Beneficiary designation is a very important part of both your retirement plan and your estate plan. Having a beneficiary designation or having the incorrect beneficiary designation can can change a huge years of beneficial written retirement plan and good financial decisions that you've made over the years and can have a devastating impact on a surviving spouse or children or grandchildren. And so we talked in the previous segment about that is the one thing that uh, retirement plans and estate plans should have in common. That's that one connection that should be made. And unfortunately, many times that connection's not being made. A lot of it has to do with there's not a lot of communication between your industry and my industry. 
uh, over something like that. Sometimes it's overlooked uh, in your industry or minimized. Many times it's overlooked or not even discussed many times uh, because the document is the focus of discussion in my industry and document has nothing to do with your beneficiary. Um, you can coordinate those together and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But in we know the importance of a beneficiary designation and getting that connection between your retirement plan and your estate plan, beneficiary designation is that connection. So in estate planning, how do you get the beneficiary designation connected in the best way? And this is where we're going to talk about and we're going to rank beneficiary designations. We're going to rank them from the very worst to the very best. And let's start with the very worst. I I was in a golf tournament not long ago, and I got, it was a really nice way of saying I got the highest score in golf. Now, everybody thinks highest score. Well, that's good. Not in golf. You don't (laughs) want to have the highest score. But they refer to it as, you know, the most honest golfer. I actually wrote down my score, and obviously my score ended up being the the worst. I was in last place. inferring that everybody else and most of these people were pastors and ministers in churches and this is a christian organization and missy goes that's kind of troubling and i said what that i'm honest she goes no that nobody else was (laughs) (laughs) so let's rank and let's start with the, the worst the very worst beneficiary designation we touched on this in the previous segment is no beneficiary designation not having one at all Sometimes that happens intentionally. I just can't make up my mind who I want a beneficiary to be. And uh, I know you would never say this. That's something that I never uh, think I would hear you say. Oh, just leave it blank. Yeah. Just yeah. leave it blank. That's probably best. Yeah, if, if if you said something like that, I'd be calling the ambulance. Absolutely. That'd be something really wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> You'd be checking around to see if there's Pepsi in my veins or something, right? <laughs> but... uh that you never want to not have a beneficiary. Uh, multiple problems go along with that, especially if that part of that that account's an IRA or 401k account, because we're talking double taxes. We're talking over 40 percent taxes, because when your IRA goes through an estate, folks, an estate's a legal entity, just like a trust, just like a business, just like a person's. In the eyes of the IRS, a, an estate has income tax rates. And it doesn't take but a very small amount of income to put that estate in a 40% or higher tax bracket. Mm. We're talking like over $10,000. And so if you have an IRA that's worth $20,000 and you don't have a beneficiary on that IRA, it's going through your estate, which means that about half of it is going to be paid in taxes. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, and my co-host, Kevin Tharp, estate planning and elder law attorney today, is talking about the right beneficiary, the, the true, correct beneficiary. Kevin, I think too many people assume that their family's going to get everything when they die, no matter what, whether yeah. they've planned or not, yeah. they're going to get it. Yeah, and that's sometimes why I think that assumption is overlooked when they're sitting down with their advisor and they're mapping out a plan with all their various accounts and, oh, yeah, by the way, just name a beneficiary. And there are people in situations that don't have any children. They don't have any grandchildren. They, besides their spouse, 
uh, you know, it's 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 just them and their spouse. I know one client that their children were their pets, their dogs. And I don't think you can name Mulberry as a beneficiary on an IRA, but I'm checking on that. I'm checking on that. <laughs> if we get Mulberry a Social Security number, we probably can. Well, you get we, past that little obstacle. Well, we, we, there are people that generate Social Security numbers for dogs out there, I'm sure. <laughs> but no beneficiary designation. You know what the second worst beneficiary designation is? It has the same result, your estate. Mm. I've had people tell me, and this is the same on life insurance too. Uh, again, IRA just has, it's more compounded uh, if you name your estate as a beneficiary. It's the same result as naming no beneficiary. It's number one, going through probate. It puts that asset that otherwise would be protected at your death and makes it unprotected. It makes it open to any creditors you might owe money to when you pass away because what goes through probate is subject to creditors' claims, not to mention the taxes. So the two worst beneficiary designations are none, no beneficiary designation or your estate. And again, this, these rankings apply to life insurance. These rankings apply to retirement accounts. These rankings apply to... Uh, many investment accounts, and now many banks are trending towards allowing you to name a beneficiary on those accounts called payable on death. And folks, all of those things, there is huge problems if you name, don't name a beneficiary or you name your estate as a beneficiary. Now, let's talk about the most common beneficiary designation, and this one's okay. It's not a bad choice. It's better than the previous two choices. And that is naming individuals as beneficiaries. And that's very standard. I would rather see a spouse and children or grandchildren as a beneficiary than no beneficiary at all or, or the estate. Okay? Because at least it's going somewhere. And it's very common. And I always tell my clients when we're in the middle of estate planning, keep those beneficiaries from now. And I'm going to walk you through and show you how to change it to the best, very best beneficiary designation. So I would rank the children and family as uh, a good beneficiary designation, a, you know, one of the best. Mm-hmm. Okay? Why? Because it's going to go to the people you want it to go to. It's going to go to them outside of probate. It's not going to, in some cases, like with your spouse, it's going to go to them tax-free. So it's okay. Then the next beneficiary designation is what I call the very best beneficiary designation, and that is a trust. Because you can name your spouse, children, grandchildren as beneficiaries of that trust and then change the beneficiaries on your IRA, your life insurance, your POD accounts to your trust. And when you die, all of that money funnels to them through the trust outside of probate. But now there's an asset protection because the trust takes into account the condition of the beneficiaries where direct beneficiary designation, naming your spouse and kids as beneficiary, does not have that asset protection. So the very best, the number one ranked beneficiary designation, in my opinion, is a revocable living trust. Kevin, why don't you give people your information so they can give you a call and have a conversation about this? Gary, my website is kevintharp, T-H-A-R-P-E dot com. 
Investment advisory services are offered through Anderson Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm. Anderson Advisors is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investments involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Any reference to protection, safety, and lifetime income generally refers to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the strength and paying capabilities of the insurance carrier. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. You should consult with a financial advisor to help determine the best options for your particular circumstances. No statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not endorsed by the United States government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions construed herein presented by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable. Completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Gary Anderson nor Anderson Advisors is affiliated with attorney J. Kevin Tharp or any guests on this show. Thank you.